Well, Father Jonathan, how are we doing, buddy? We're doing great. Doing great. Enjoying life. How are you? Pretty good. Uh, You're in full swing with the semester? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Um, I am back in the full swing of parish life, which means that this upcoming Sunday, the fifth Sunday of Ordinary Time, I'll be preaching again. Hey, congratulations. That's right. That's right. So I really have nothing to report from the fourth Sunday since <laughs> uh, it was the bishop's appeal. And so oh. two weeks in a row, we were doing the bishop's appeal. And so... Yeah, I remember those days. Yeah. Got to tell you, not a big fan. Not a big fan. Not uh, a fan. Um, like, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole, but like, I'm even hard pressed to see what the like purpose of the whole thing is, you know, like, like taking over an entire homily, like the gospel for that day just is completely sidestepped. I don't know. I just find it a little bit bizarre. Yeah. I mean, this is a conversation that we've had many times before, you know, like in, in, you know, council, Vatican council and all this stuff have put tremendous amount of weight, given a lot of weight to the homily. Yeah. Um, which is a fairly recent uh, development. Um, and I'm not trying to say that we shouldn't think of it as strongly as we do. But at the same time, it's like, well, there's a lot that goes into the liturgy. The homily is one part of that. Yeah. Um, you know, I think I think we as preachers tend to be a little bit overly attached because that's my opportunity to, to be... Um, to show off, to be the center of attention, hmm. um, which, yeah, you can guess which spirit that comes from. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. Um, yeah, but I, I mean, get it. We... It's it is it it is jarring. It's like okay, this doesn't fit into anything. Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. Um, you know, we can't go down that rabbit hole too far, or else we'll be out of a podcast. If we, <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, the homily doesn't really matter that much. It's like, well, hold on, it matters something. It matters something. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so, hey, let's just jump into the fifth Sunday since I don't—I mean, I don't think you preached either today. I think neither of us had a homily, right? That's right. Um, but yeah, uh, I guess we'll 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 circle back on these readings in three years. How about that? <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, good. Well, hey, how about the fifth Sunday in ordinary time? What are you thinking? Well, I've got a lot of—I've th- got a lot of thoughts. Some of them are not gonna be good ones um, in that they won't really fit together as like a cohesive homily. I will say right off the bat that um, this this last part of the second reading from 1 Corinthians is probably one of my favorite verses. But by oh, yeah. the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me has not been ineffective. Indeed, mm. I have to- toiled harder than all of them. Not I, however, but the grace of God that is with me. Amen. Uh, nice. It's like, man, that sums it up. <laughs> Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and and I think it does tie in, right? Because we're I see these, especially this this reading from um, uh, from Isaiah. It's very kind of uh, liturgical, very kind of Old Testament metal, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, kind of a thing, um, you know. And there's this whole thing, and it's in the gospel as well. Okay, so maybe it's a lot more connected than I thought. Um, that. You know, there's this outcry, woe is me, I am doomed, for I am a man of unclean lips. Lord, get behind, uh, leave from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. there's this tendency that we have, speaking of the evil spirit, uh, to be to be uh, tempted in that way of like, uh, 
you know, I'm a sin- sinner, therefore I can't be here. Hmm. Whereas the, the good spirit, the Lord, is saying, no, man, you are a sinner. That's why you need to be here. That's yeah. why you need to shout with a loud voice, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I think, yeah, I think there's an interesting... Th- I don't know. Again, I don't, I don't know how we could develop, de- develop that into a homily, um, but I do think that there's a connection there with how we approach the Lord, and I think there's a connection there to how we engage in this liturgical act of the Mass, hmm. not just how am I listening to these really fancy readings, you know, especially as we've got, um, you know, the Sanctus in the first reading, and then this kind of creedal moment that St. Paul is giving us in the second reading. Like, these, yeah. are, very, these are things that we do every Sunday. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. how, how, are, how is that being more integrated into this bodily act of worship that we do. Yeah. Well, so it seems like you're putting a lot of emphasis uh, in a good way on uh, how a person may not be worthy, like the worthiness factor. So like from where does our worth come? So like, you know, with St. Peter uh, kneeling before Christ and saying, get get away from me from a sinful man. And then St. Paul, who we actually just celebrated in the liturgical calendar, his conversion you know, who was persecuting Christians. And here he's the one who's saying in this letter to the Corinthians that by the grace of God that is with him, you know, um, I've har- I've toiled harder than any other, you know, but by God's grace, I am what I am. So mm-hmm. there's something about worthiness and unworthiness and how we are made worthy uh, by the grace of God. Um, and you could, I guess the, the liturgical stuff there is important too, because it's not by your worth or your merit as a priest or my worth as a priest that I can celebrate the sacrament, but merely by the grace of God, you know? Um, so there's something to be said there, you know, maybe one of the things that you and I often talk about, about like putting the precedent on God's action in us rather than, you know, our mm-hmm. worthiness or something. Um, like that seems to be a way to get at it. Um, does that seem to summarize what you're getting at? Yeah. I, I just think that there's really a, a wonderful opportunity here to kind of break out of just telling a story about these readings and kind of look at, kind of getting a um, a deeper understanding of why these people are in the church. <laughs> uh, like, what are you doing? Here, here is a great kind of a narrative of, uh, of church worship. Um, I don't know. And like, perhaps even an opportunity to talk about the need of confession and some of the other sacraments that we never get a chance to preach on. Yeah, because they're yeah. not explicitly scriptural. Well, I yeah, think that they yeah. are, and I think this is a great example of how that how that can sure. how, the, how we can do that. Sure, sure. Um, you know, so, so maybe connecting to this idea of worthiness, unworthiness, God's action, you know, our participation, and all that um, in the liturgical context. I think one thing that you know maybe maybe striking in a different direction, but it certainly is related. I think is something that I noticed in the first reading that connects to the second reading and it has to do with not being able to do or give anything that you haven't first received. Um, so mm-hmm. in, in the second reading, it's uh, for, I handed on to you as of first importance, what I also received. Mm-hmm. So the dynamic of reception and then of giving uh, and how all of the dynamic of evangelization primarily begins. It begins of course with reception. And so the reason I was pointing that out in the first reading is because you see with the coal he touched my mouth with the burning coal, with that ember uh, that came from the altar. And then from that, he's able to have his you know, tongue loosed to preach. You know? uh, and so his wickedness is removed and his sin is purged. So his unworthiness you know, is no longer because God has given him you know, the, the fire of that ember to be able to become the prophet. Um, 
I think it's important just because it, when we talk about like our unworthiness and worthiness, is like God makes us worthy by giving us the grace that we need uh, to be able to complete and participate in the work of evangelization. And so like Peter receives the grace of being called worthy, you know, even though he wants to consider himself unworthy, because immediately after, you know, the fact of, of him being calling himself a sinner, he says, okay, well, I'm going to make you a fisher of men now. Um, I'm calling you forth, you know? Um, so anyway, the reception and the giving, I think there's something there too. Yeah, and it goes back to what we were talking about last last time, you know, with this idea of of love, you know, this this um these words from Saint was that last time? Anyway, from Saint yeah, Paul. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know that we don't need to th- have this childish notion of love is just, you know, feeling good and and you know, butterflies and rainbows and all that nonsense. Um, but it's a real it's a it's an act of the will. You are giving something. The problem is can you give something that you don't have? Right. Uh, and so I think, yeah, I think you're, you're, you're right on there that we have to first receive that, that gift, that love, um, before we can be that for others. Right, right, right. Um, I'm not sure how I would tie that into the liturgical stuff that you were saying. It's like for me, these, these readings can, can easily become a homily about evangelization and, uh, you know, receiving so as to become, you know, the fishers of men or in Isaiah's case, the prophet or in Paul's case, you know, the one who hands off what he has received. So like in all three, you have, you have this dynamic of having received the good news. And so to give the good news, you know, that's been received. Um, yeah. I mean, there's certainly, you know, the source and summit language that we can use that this is the moment where we are, um, where we are fed, where we are nourished, where we are given the strength to go out into the world um, so that ultimately we can come back to to that summit, to this um, yeah. to this great place of of worship. all of our all of our actions are geared towards um, that right relation with with the Lord and our, and our yeah. come together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know it's very Eucharistic in that sense as well. I, I mean, especially with these um, with the gospel reading, this this great kind of funny story that I always laugh at. Uh, it's like Jesus has nothing and knows nothing about fish, and yet he's he is uh, telling these professional fishermen, "Well, well, just you know, put your nets out," <laughs> and then uh, and then they caught a great number of fish that their nets were tearing. It's like, yeah, holy moly, they trusted, right? Even though they knew he, they probably knew he didn't know what he was talking about. Like okay, well, we worked really hard and caught nothing, but mm-hmm. if you say it, we'll do it. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, uh, no, absolute faith for sure. I, I uh, when you were talking about being fed, uh, the thing that I was thinking about was in the ember, uh, like that's a gesture of being fed, like a child, you know, like yeah, uh, the ember is being brought from the altar and being placed on his tongue. Uh, you know, much like, you know, you might receive the Eucharist that way or the way in which we're, we're fed by our parents when we're, when we're children, uh, is to be fed the food directly into our mouths. And so there's a great dynamic there of like the prophet is going to be the one who proclaims the good news, but that those words are placed on his tongue, uh, mm-hmm. in, in such a way that like even John's gospel, you know, is that don't prepare a defense for yourselves. You know, the spirit will provide for you the defense that you need. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's something really, really good there that, that, you know, we receive and we're nourished precisely so that we can be evangelizers, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say the last the point of that would be, I, I guess I still, 
I want to jump into the gospel a little bit later and for its own sake, because I feel like I'm kind of like grasping at little pieces of it to try to like force it into this conversation about evangelization. (laughs) But like there is, there is that notion of being fishers of men. And I guess that would be like the last tack of it. Um, Though I think this gospel can stand on its own for, for a whole other Mm -hmm. homily perhaps. Yeah. I agree with that. I agree with that. Um, But I I think to your point though, I think there that St. Paul is a great example of that, right? Because he's saying, I have toiled harder than all of them. Hold on, not <laughs> I, however, but the grace of God that is with me. Yeah. Uh, so he's he's recognizing that there is work to be done and work to do. But when when you start thinking that it's you that is doing all of these good things, then we've got a problem. Yep. And I think what you're saying about the the words of the prophet were put in his mouth is exactly to say these are not David's words. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, these are. This is. Um, this is prophecy. This is. This is the word of God. Yeah. But there's also. I mean, equally, there's a lot of danger that <laughs> that we can get into there, right? Because we we like to think that oh, because I say it, that means it's that. Mm-hmm. That means mm-hmm. it's divinely inspired. That I I can do no wrong at the at the pulpit, and right. we both know, and all of our listener listeners out there, our one listener, um, I'm sure has also had that uh, experience of somebody who just didn't didn't preach very well. That's right. Uh, and they probably and perhaps, thought that too. <laughs> and probably didn't preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in, exactly. in some cases. Yeah, totally. And um, so it's 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 a it's a hard line. And it's a it's a tall order. Right. Right. Uh, you know what? I was just going to, for the sake of time, I was going to point out in the second reading, one one thing that really stands out to me that I, I really like is the way that it begins. Uh, so I was just really struck by the word reminding. <laughs> it's kind of mm-hmm. like, I just want to remind you guys uh, <laughs> of the gospel that I preached to you. That's right. <laughs> you know, and it's, I mean, in tongue in cheek sort of fashion, of course, like, you know, I'm trying to remind you of this and call it back to into your minds. But um like truthfully, like that's precisely uh, I think where Christians get in trouble is that we forget. Uh, yeah. I think we forget the gospel, uh, and by forgetting the good news and also the good work that God has done in me in my life, uh, by forgetting that, then I start really going down a dark and dangerous path. Mm-hmm. And so, like sometimes the work of evangelization is just like recalling, helping the person recall the goodness that God has already done in them. You know, and I often find in my own life, and I I think it may be true with you too, is like sometimes when I'm in my darkest moments of desolation, it's like memory helps me out of that a mm-hmm. little bit, you know, yeah, like for sure, for sure. It's like, if I feel ever tempted to like, you know, give up on my commitments, it's like, well, think back to like the moments of grace, like remember, like remembering has a huge role to play in like living the gospel. Well, you know? Yeah, for sure. And I do, I do really like that line as well. Now that you pointed out and it's somewhat more polite than uh, how he calls the Galatians stupid. Yeah, that's um, right. <laughs> but I think, you know, all of his letters to some degree or another are um, kind of like that. They're reminding because they're, people are not doing what they're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And I think we can take some sort of comfort in that, that it's like, okay, well, from the very beginning, people have been struggling with this because it's hard. <laughs> it's yeah. a hard life. And the moment that we think that we've got it, that we're good, is probably the moment that we need to go to confession and realize that we're not anywhere close. Right. And be reminded. Um, and that's right. Exactly. Be reminded. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So what no, do you got great. on the gospel? 
Okay, so just pivoting to the gospel in and of itself, I uh, I think it would be we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the casting into the deep. Um, I think there's something really beautiful about that image, and it's been an image that's accompanied, I think, uh, Christian iconography for a long time, and also Christian spirituality. Uh, I think you could have a whole homily here about not being tepid Christians, uh, yeah. about being bold and being courageous to go out into deep water. Like you could see something about Peter and the other disciples, maybe just fishing in the security of shallow water, like get an easy catch of fish. Uh, like the fish have been corralled or something and they're making an easy go at it, but it's not going well. And like Jesus is venturing out into the deep almost recklessly, like you were saying, cause he's not a fisherman. <laughs> and there's just something really powerful. I think in the image of the casting into the deep with great boldness, uh, and I think preaching that kind of gospel in our time as Christians is important just because so many of us are so satisfied with shallow Christianity um, and shallow expressions of, of, of life of faith, you know? Um, like, I'm terrified to do things for the Lord in a bold way. I'd rather just, you know, sit in the safe and secure shallow water um, because I can stand on my own two feet there, you know? Yeah, for sure. You know, and... Um... Yeah, no, I like that a lot. And I think a part of me is is really latching on to this idea, kind of to go back to what I was talking about earlier with our unworthiness. Uh, I think there's a, there's a hesitation on a lot of people's, and I'll admit to, to it myself, of not wanting to be a hypocrite and saying, you know, calling people to holiness when knowing full well that I'm a sinful man. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and I think there's this this hesitation against trying to be like, um, what am I trying to say? You know, we don't want to look down on people's experiences, but you know, all that stuff. And let's be real, there's a great fear of cancellation in our in our culture these days. Right. Right. Um, and so, going out into the deep is scary. Yeah. For, I think even more so these days than it has been in a while. But you're right; it's exactly where we need to be. Um, and we need to have that. So it needs to come from both, from both. We've got to have both sides of the same, of this coin, right? To go, to be willing to go out into the deep, but recognize that it's precisely because, um, kind of like St. Paul, but by the grace of God, I am who I am. It's precisely because of that grace. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because of the, of the, of the sinfulness, because of the unworthiness that I'm able to trust, um, that it's going to be the Lord that will keep me safe. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one, uh, maybe this will be my parting thought, but just to dovetail off that, one thing I also love about the gospel is Peter's. So when Peter says, depart from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man, what I like about that is that uh, it's a true statement. <laughs> so he's, he's telling the truth, uh, but it only comes after an experience of, uh, of Jesus's power and glory. So like, I think so many of us run to diagnose our own sinfulness uh, without first having experienced uh, Christ, like to let his uh, miracle and power and grace be that which shows me my sinfulness. Um, you know what I mean? That my sinfulness and is, is only, I can only see it if God is first allowing me to see it, you know? Um, and just to show that there's the primacy of grace there that allows me to see even my own sinfulness. Uh, mm -hmm. And then in order to see that sinfulness, I must experience and encounter Jesus, you know? Um, yep. Yep, and then and then like Saint Paul, they can fall like scales, you know, from mm -hmm. my eyes. Yeah, you know, there's. Uh, I'm really struck by this line: "Do not be afraid." I have never noticed this before, but 
I could be very wrong on this, but it seems like the only ever times that we hear that, do not be afraid, are from angels <laughs> uh, mm. when they come and visit humanity. So I, I wonder if there's a moment that Jesus is saying, you know, in the same way that Gabriel spoke to Mary or, you know, the angel spoke to Lot or whoever it was, uh, do not be afraid. And that yeah. sort of angelic, um, divine sense. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Hey, I don't know. Yeah. Actually, you know what? Uh, this will really be my parting thought. Uh, <laughs> how, how many times would you say, uh, maybe in my own reflection, I would ask myself too, is that I begin by evangelizing by saying, do not be afraid. Like, mm. like that's kind of an interesting, I think, beautiful idea to think that how much do we evangelize to just scare people, uh, mm-hmm. you know, to change their lives? How much is like, when I evangelize, is it good news where the first words out of my mouth are, do not be afraid? Uh, because so much of like all the cancel culture, all that, like we're just living in perpetual fear, uh, and anxiety and like the good news today could be that Jesus comes to dispel that fear, uh, you know, and Mm, we're sent to do that, you know? Yeah, for sure. I like that a lot. Cool, man. Your parting thought? Go pray. All right, dude. Till next time. Peace.